It's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Well, 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 we have the music stopped early, and here we are at Saturday morning on WABC, our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Yeah, um, our usual half-Brit Nick is not feeling well, so Diego is sitting in for half-Brit Nick today. And Carlos is here and all that with your calls, 800-848-WABC is the number to call, 800. That is not an auspicious start. When the music doesn't work, everything just doesn't, but we're going to make it through. It's Black Saturday with the black guy here on WABC. Yes. And Mr. Hunter is here. Derek Hunter. Thank you, Derek Rocket. So I gotta All right, keep going, like, keep going, keep going, keep going. Give me the bass. Let me do the thing. Thank you. James Golden here. Derek Hunter hanging with us. Derek is yes. like the other part of Hall and Oates. He's like a brother with soul. That's right. I'm the one you get the uh, the restraining order against. Can you believe they broke up? That's like a family divorce. Family down the they block. Have been, they have had problems. These guys have had a lot of problems, apparently. And so I, we finally found out. I have a story this morning. We finally found out what happened with Hall and Oates. Um, uh, apparently, who slept with him? Um, one, who, whoever the one is that that is suing is suing because the other one's trying to sell something. Blondie's and, and, trying to go after. The, well, it's Black Saturday. Blondie's going after black hair. Okay, Blondie's Typical, after black it? hair. Am I right? Am I right? Hey, That's the black guy. Oh, hey, there you go. Blondie's after black hair, and because she's trying to sell something that. Blondie says doesn't, according to their initial operating agreements, he doesn't have the right to sell. So that's where all the fuss the is. The idea that they have talent, is that what they're trying to sell? You don't have the right to sell, can't sell what doesn't exist? Oh, come on now. Hold no, on. they're fine, they're fine, they're fine. But this is, you, you've been around musicians. God, you like to name drop musicians like it's an Olympic event. You're going for the gold sometimes. <laughs> Hey, weren't you in UK for that uh, Foo Fighters concert backstage? Yes. Shut up, Derek. Oh, yes, please, I was. Please, uh, but were you there? Were you there? Yeah, I was. I just don't like to brag about it. Yeah, Listen. right. I didn't see you there. I saw Dave. I saw Dave Chappelle there. Okay, good for you. I saw Dave Chappelle yeah. outside of a Ryzen store in downtown Washington D.C. Once shook his hand, moved on about it, and I've never told anybody about it until now. You know why? Because I'm because you just dropped his name because you I'm you wanted to drop his name. But yeah, let me ask secure. you this, because Hall yeah. & Oates, they're leaving money on the table. They obviously can't get along. They're leaving a lot of money. Daryl Hall can, Oates can probably fill a dinner theater. Daryl Hall, since he's the singer, he can probably fill a little bit bigger of a event. Nobody wants to go see, oh, there's the bass player from Hall & Oates, the guy with the perm. But they're leaving a lot of money on the table. If they could just get past each other, or themselves probably is more accurate, they could make a ton of money because there'd be a lot of people who go, oh, man, Hall & Oates. I'm going to go see Hall & Oates. You don't get to see Hall & Oates, and this could be their farewell tour or whatever. Another band that left a ton of money on the table for years was the Eagles. They could have. Yeah. And the police as well. Everybody, yeah. Stuart Copeland. But hates. you know what? Have you have, see, have you ever been in a band? No, but I can okay. tell you it's different. I know this much about a band. When you're starting out and you're traveling around in a van from gig to gig and you're living out of the van, if you hate somebody in there, it's horrible. Once 
you go, I guess we'll see you in Barcelona in a week and we'll do this again for $5 million. It's a little bit different. You only have to see them at soundcheck and during the show. And if you can't get over yourself in that amount of time, because you fly separate, you got your own hotel room, I don't understand why you just can't get over yourself. It's not that. that easy. How? Not that easy. You have to interact with your band mem- members. You have to agree but on you things. Have people who put together the list, and, or you just go, you know what? No, we're going to do the list because here's the songs people want to hear. We're doing this for the money. All right. Have we're you ever gonna... been there? Have you ever gotten to the point where you're just fed up with with somebody and you're just like, look, I don't care. I money love be damned. Everybody jams, and I love them all well, equally. All yeah, of course, everybody. I hate everybody. And that's what happens. It, there comes a point where the money's not enough. It's like quality of life. Do I want to spend my life dealing with people that I don't necessarily want to deal with, or am I going to spend my life having a look? Both of these guys can can do things on their own and still make money. If 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 either one of these guys were on the road and they decided that they wanted to do a tour with whoever, they can first of all they can get the best musicians in the world to work with them. They can put on a great show. They're both very talented. People lining up to work with Oats. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Which one Both you, of them. But together, would they not make more money? If, if, they probably let's would. Let's say they have to tour, they have to play 150 Money's days a year. Money's not everything. 150 oh, days no. a year, but they could do 50 days a year and make twice as much money. All they got to do is not try to pummel somebody on a stage for an hour and a half. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to find out who's managing them and kick them out and then... Um, put put in you there. in there. I'll give you a yeah. piece of my end. That's fine. Yeah, that sounds Look, good to me. Do you think Timothy B. Schmidt was sitting around counting his money nonstop? Or do you think he said, boy, it would be nice to do an Eagles tour because I'm not getting Don Henley or, th- or Glenn Fry money? I think they, with, like with the Eagles, did, did I hear something that at one point these guys were so nasty to each other on stage? Diego, weren't you telling me that, that, it, that uh, Diego's busy trying to figure out what happened to the music? Weren't you telling me that the Eagles at some point were not even talking to each other on stage or, or something? They were they were just nasty. The police to each weren't. Other. The police. They were super nasty to each other. The Eagles, yeah. Yeah, and the police hated each other. Uh, Led and Zeppelin. Certain, everybody seems to have a problem with John Paul Jones. I don't understand what they hate John Paul Jones for. But you think they just go, eh? You know what? We'll just play anyway. Would it surprise you, Derek, that some of these guys, after being so successful, have outsized egos? And then when you have a room full of outsized egos with each other, it's really difficult. I Diego understand plays. that, but you don't Diego, have to be in a room full of outsized egos. When, you don't have to. You can be on but the stage with trying, outsized egos, but that's it. But, Derek, when you're trying to make music, mm-hmm. right, when you're trying to do something that is really a creative venture, part of it is... You really should like the people that you're trying to do it with. If you hate the people, you hate the experience. If you hate the experience, it doesn't come off well. I'm not saying exactly, you have to yeah. do it constantly, but, you know, let's Mm-mm. face it. Led Zeppelin isn't getting any uh, younger. The drummer already died long And they time don't ago. need the money at this point. Well, I shouldn't say they don't need the money because I don't know what anyone else is finding. Oh, you don't need the money. What the hell do you know? You don't know how much money I, I have flowing out. You're no, no, I'm not talking about you. Money. I said people. It used to bug me when people say that because I just said they don't need the money, and I caught myself. I don't know whether they need the money or not. But at some point, 
you know, you have to, if, if, if like I said, quality of life is more important. If you're Derek, Jimmy I, Page or, or mm-hmm. Robert Plant, there are, you're, you're on the back nine, to put it mildly. You're probably, you know, on the approach at 16, to make a golf metaphor. At a certain point, don't you just go, you know, I wouldn't be here without John Paul Jones. It maybe it would just be nice to, if we can't bury the hatchet, at least to everybody who gave us this amazing life, we say thank you together. Like, no, wouldn't you just do that? I would do nope. that. I wouldn't. You wouldn't. If you don't like, if you genuinely, if, and if I'm the bitter on. one. No, but if you've moved on and it's not a good experience, you've moved on. Who wants to be in toxic environments all their life? It's like no. If it's toxic, then just it's like, no, I moved on. That was then. This is my life now, and I'm happy with my life now. And you do it like that. I mean, I, we have a lot of professional musicians <clears throat> in the audience and people that have played and people that have done all kind of work. I can't wait to hear what some of them have to say I about just, it. Because, I think that you could put it aside for an hour and a half. You, nope. The police, if you're putting Sting's name on your drum kit so you hit it extra hard and you're looking at him, shooting daggers at him, okay, big deal. You you don't share a dressing room with him anymore. You don't share dressing rooms anyway after you get to that level. Well, right. But it, you, <laughs> I can see you need a break. You want to do your own thing, whatever. Sting wants to go off and do crappy jazz music, sort of, but whatever. Oh, uh, here we go. Oh, well, come on. You really think Sting's stuff on his own was as good as the stuff with the police? What yes, I do. Did. I do too. Have you ever, don't have you, stand have so you close ever really to me listened? That, don't stand so close ever, to me. Oh, stop it, Derek. Don't stand Dream so close the, to me, 86. Have you ever listened the remix to the album? The redo should be illegal. It's a terrible song. It's an affront to ears everywhere. Dream of the Blue Turtles. Ten Sumner's Tale. have some good songs. The albums, these, it's, no, these albums that he did, his work as a solo artist have been brilliant. Mm-hmm. Absolutely brilliant. He's a brilliant musician. And, and guess what? I wasn't the biggest in the world Sting fan back when he was doing the the lefty tour of of let's go down into uh, uh with the rainforest and all that stuff but but still as a musician and as an artist are you kidding the guy is freaking brilliant he's he amazing better. he was better with with nope. the police with Andy no, he wasn't. and Stuart Copeland he was no he wasn't no he wasn't this is science this no, he is wasn't. just science I mean, come on this is real we looked in fact look, we have i know we must have somewhere in there um what you call it uh um uh, da, 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 da. you know what I'm talking about. Fields of gold. We must have. I don't that know in what there. the hell you're talking about, let alone which one you're. I was talking about. to Diego. He okay. knows music. I wasn't talking to you. You don't know music. Whoa, <laughs> Derek. I have a you're very about serious... all this time. All this time. When the <laughs> no, that, no, don't, Derek. Derek, when we come back from the break, I have a really, and I'm very serious about this. I have a very deep, philo- well, it's, I don't know whether it's deep, but I have a philosophical question for you about the role of government and health care. I'm just prepping you now. And I want to just, I want to talk with you about that. Seriously, and I seriously want to know what you think. Because one of the reasons that I always enjoy speaking with you about everything else but music is that there is no <laughs> more brilliant mind when it, well, you have a brilliant mind when it comes to that stuff. And you understand well, I used to be the a philosophical. Analyst at the Heritage Foundation. See, that's what I'm saying. 
a health policy. So I, I want to ask you about that when we get back. Meanwhile, we will head to the first break listening to one of the greatest musicians of our generation as a solo artist. Didn't you say you weren't a big fan of the Beatles recently? I said when... It's complicated. I love the Beatles. I think the Beatles are the biggest group in music history. That's that aside, when you listen to their early works, the early stuff, it, some of it is like... You got to be bad before you get good. Hey, they grew to be one of the. They grew to be the the most iconic group in music history. See, the thing is, before they don't have anything to do with talent. Before they got signed, they wrote uh, Lennon and McCartney wrote a hundred songs before they even got signed. So, I mean, that must have been even worse. (laughs) They earned it. Yeah, they earned it. They earned it, and you could hear their growth. If you listen from the beginning all the way through their catalog, you can hear them grow as musicians, as writers, everything. Meanwhile, as I said, one of the best ever artists of our time, the solo artist, Sting, on WABC Talk Radio 77, 800-848-WABC is how you reach us. See the children run as the sun goes down among the fields of gold. You'll remember me when the west wind moves upon the fields of body. You can tell the sun in his jealous sky when we walked in fields of gold. 77 Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. When a man loves a woman. Born this day, November 25th, the year 1940. Percy Sledge. The iconic... Will live forever when a man loves a woman. Amen to that, Percy. He has spent his very last dime. That's exactly right. Derek Hunter is with us. Derek, okay, here's the question that I have for you. Hit me. There is, um, did you just burp? No, I coughed. It cleared my throat. <clears throat> oh, okay. I thought, because if you burped, it was going to be funny. <laughs> uh, that would be rude. It, I know. That's what would make it so funny, because you are so irreverent. Mm-hmm. He, here's the thing. Wall Street Journal. I know you get up and read it early every morning. Every but day. In the, every day. Mm-hmm. The, uh, they have a piece today. Elizabeth Warren has an Obamacare epiphany. 13 years, Elizabeth Warren is at long last acknowledging that Obamacare has increased health care prices and industry consolidation. Who would believe it? They say government price controls, profit caps, 
have resulted in unintended consequences. Now, there is also another article today. I'm searching. It's in one of my stacks somewhere about the problems that Medicare Advantage is running into. They are, the bottom line of that article is that Medicare Advantage, a lot of, there's so much um, chaos in that that there's a bipartisan effort now underway to try to under, un, overhaul it because they keep denying. You get into these plans, and they, they and, and what the, the rub is, they're saying that a lot of these insurers are targeting senior citizens by denying them coverage on things that ordinarily are ordinary and should be covered. And so all of that comes back to a question that, that I am not a healthcare expert, Derek, at all. Mm-hmm. And I try to follow healthcare. It gets so complicated for me that I don't, it, it's like me trying to read through even a lot of the terminology sometimes makes my eyes glaze over the PPMs, the MLRs, the XXXs, the, the HHPs and the, all of this stuff. And I've never understand this mishmash of, of, um, of what the government really offers. I have never understood why there's a big difference between Medicaid, Medicare, and then we supposedly had the CHIPS um, program for children, but there are complaints now that children are still uninsured after all the money that's spent. And uh, so here's my philosophical question to you. Mm-hmm. Would, and this is blasphemy if you ask the question and you're a conservative, Believe me, and I heard our good friend, uh, oh, Connie, raked me over the coals one day. Connie here, when I started saying, you know, uh, I, I, because I, I had, had health care at NIH. Yeah. I went to NIH and when I had cancer. Until and I they, I'm, that's right. And the treatment I got was remarkable. It was incredible. And I always said, I wish this were avail- available to every American. If every American had the same experience I had at NIH, nobody would be complaining about their health care. And, oh, my, you how you need to recognize, Connie tells me, lovingly, I love Connie, and Connie loves me very much, that she said, you need to recognize that the care you got there is not what the average American gets under, when you say government health care. This isn't the way that government health care operates. You're, you're, you're marching down the socialist road by saying that. Okay, Derek, I just think that philosophically it is a shame that we live in the wealthiest nation in the world and that our health care system, after all of these attempts at, 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 at Medicare, Medicaid, CHIPS, this, that, the other, it's still a shambles and it still costs so much for people and there are so many people who can't access it. What the hell is the fix? And then when when Republicans, I'm sorry, this is an extended question, but when Republicans <laughs> said, when when Republicans said that okay, we want to get rid of Obamacare, what do they want to put in its place? What should? So here's the question boiled down: What should Americans have in terms of health care? <laughs> Good God, ask a more broad state. What's the meaning of life? I'm I'm just no, right. come on. You're a hex, you're a policy expert. You yeah, did but this you with, know if, with heritage. Good Lord, I stopped following healthcare for a job at the last day of 2005. But I can answer your questions uh, with if you've got the next 15 hours free. Uh, first off, I'll tell you that Obamacare was never meant to succeed. 
Nothing the left ever does is meant to be a finish line. It's a checkpoint on the way to their full-blown takeover of a system. The problem with Obamacare and the reason that uh, leftists were upset with it is it failed too quickly so that people could notice that it was Obamacare that caused their premiums to go up. Remember, Barack Obama was running around saying, save the average family $2,500, $2,500 savings on their premiums. That didn't happen. It went in the other direction. If you like your plan, you keep your plan. That didn't happen. You like your doctor. That didn't happen. All of these things happened right out of the gate, whereas it was supposed to happen after the third turn in the track when the horse dropped dead. So, Because then they could come in and say, well, Obviously, the healthcare system is in shambles again, and we need to come in and, and expand it even more. We need a public option. This is all each little checkpoint towards socialized medicine. That's it. But you, you can't go and say, well, big government failed. We need bigger government if you can see that it was, in fact, big government that failed. That was the problem with Obamacare. That's why they have been letting it limp around the track for so long to the point that now they can say, well, this isn't ha- this isn't working. The Affordable Care Act has failed, and somebody like Elizabeth Warren can come out and say this. She was one of the biggest proponents of this. After, well, before it was passed, she wasn't in the Senate, but after she got in there, she was, I don't think she was in the Senate. Maybe she was. But uh, she uh, was the biggest proponent for these sorts of measures, these sorts of sta- takeovers and mandates. It was supposed to get rid of the uninsured, remember that's what we were told? Yes. And then yes. it didn't. It didn't because it was never designed to actually work. There are about, they always use the, ter- the, the number 40 million. 40 million uninsured. If you left, if you get your insurance through the job you currently have and then you leave and you start a new job and there's, uh, you take two weeks off in between because you want or a week off or whatever and you are without insurance, you count as uninsured. It's that's how bogus the uninsured number is. The real number you should have cared about. This is, of course, if you had a time machine is the chronically uninsured people uninsured for a year or two or longer. Those people about 12 to 15 million. We don't have accurate numbers. This we could have easily addressed them and left everybody else alone. But they didn't want to leave every the whole point was everybody else, not them. So they pushed in Obamacare, promising that they were going to help them and everybody else. They didn't do a damn thing for them, and they screwed over everybody else in the long term. So now they can come in and say, well, it's those greedy insurance companies. We need to get rid of them, even though those greedy insurance companies are doing the things that the government mandates them to do. And when you add things in there like uh, artificial insemination is about $50,000 a pop, and you mandate that. If you're in your 50s, you probably aren't looking to have another kid, so that's not really something you want. In fact, there are a very small percentage of the population who really want or need artificial insemination in their lives, nothing against them, but why does everybody have to carry insurance that charges them a small bit, but every little bit adds up, every little drop of water makes you wet, that makes you pay for that so everybody can have it so that the 1% of the population who wants it or needs it can have it at the ready. They're going to do the same thing with transitioning. They're going to do the same thing with everything. This is micromanaging by the government. Well, every little bit, because if you looked before Obamacare, I think New Jersey was the most expensive state for health insurance because they had the most mandates. It's amazing how the number of mandates that a state legislature puts in there 
uh, correlates directly to the priciness of a health care plan when realistically you want something that's going to cover your medical expenses should you step off the curb and get hit by a bus, right? That's what you really right. want. If you get sick, if you get diagnosed with something terrible, you want something to take care of that. You don't really care if your no job is covered. You don't really care if all sorts of other unimportant things are covered. You want something for catastrophic care. You could have easily taken care of that for the uh, the uninsured, the chronically uninsured. They didn't want to do that because they wanted to move the whole system towards socialized medicine. And the only way to do that is to make it collapse. They're making it collapse. You said you didn't know the difference between Medicare and Medicaid. Medicare is for the elderly and the disabled. Medicaid is for the young and poor. That means you've got a whole bunch of people at the bottom and a whole bunch of people at the top in the age timeline. So you've really now, the more you, the left always wants to expand Medicaid eligibility. Now you can be making a family of four making like $80,000 a year in certain states and qualify for health insurance for the poor. Back when I was doing health policy, by the way, a quarter of the uninsured were making $50,000 or more, which meant basically they were young, which meant basically they said, I'm young, I'm fine, I don't need to pay for this stuff. So they opted out of health insurance. I don't know why you have to care for people who opt out of health insurance. All right. That aside, they're taking Medicaid and saying, okay, you can make up to $80,000 as a family of four instead of something that's around the poverty level, people who can't take care of themselves. You're now getting people who choose not to buy insurance. Okay. So then you want to, hold on. Then you want to expand Medicare from 65 down to 50. They say, oh, you want to buy in, you want to buy in. They're crunching the middle where private insurance exists. They want to drive that. The fewer people in private insurance, the more obviously it has to cost to cover the costs. You collapse that middle, and there's the government saying, well, we tried this private stuff. It didn't work. Now we need to have a government takeover. When the reason it didn't work, when the reason it collapsed was because of government meddling in the first place. None of this is by accident, James. None of it. All right, so when I come back, I want to ask you how we straighten this stuff up when we get back. If it can be straightened out, I guess, is the real question. By the way, this one's for you, Derek. A little jazzy Sade taking us in. Sade? (laughs) 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 Why am I not surprised, Derek? (laughs) No, I know what her name is. I know how it's pronounced, but I also know there's no H in it. Uh, yeah, Say takes us in on W. <laughs> on WABC. Derek Hunter is with us. It is Black Saturday. 800 848 WABC is the number to reach us here. Coming back. James, welcome aboard. Nice to see you again, sir. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. In 1992, this day, The Bodyguard opens up nationwide, featuring 
Whitney Houston and Kevin Costner. Whitney Houston's acting debut movie did very well. Soundtrack, awesome. The voice of Whitney Houston. One of the songs, and there were a bunch of songs in this album that actually did very well. I Will Always Love You, of course, is the iconic song she did Whitney Houston's I'm Every, uh, She did the Chaka Khan's I'm Every Woman Over Again. That is a Valerie Simpson, Nick Ashford song. This one, I Have Nothing, Run to You, Jesus Loves Me. It's what a great album soundtrack this was. Yeah, and, and Derek, you know, I know some of the musicians that played on this. I could drop their names, but I won't. No, you don't understand. The bass player on this song, I'm sure he's a great guy, and he might be listening. Hey, how you doing? But nobody outside of the musician world is going to go, oh, wow, okay, there you go. But if it's like Dave Grohl, those are the names you drop. Those are the names you drop constantly. You had to work in. You saw Dave Chappelle. The guy that I was referring to. The guy that I was referring to actually ended up being uh, MJ's music director. People do care. MJ, Michael Jackson. Yes, but did he have to anyway. testify in anything or did? No, never mind. Still, great, great performance by Whitney. <laughs> I just Change that, that subject. You are just so you. You know. Yeah, it's just weird. So... I just don't look past child molestation because somebody can dance. Oh my! Just like I don't look past Chris Brown beating the crap out of Rihanna because man, he could dance. He could sing too. Okay, whatever. I'm not even going to touch this Chris Brown thing because I have always had a question about that. Because I've heard some, you just should stop right there. You're right. Because this is this will this will lead into nothing good. <laughs> yes, <let's> stop right <laughs> there. This will lead. This might actually lead into something very bad if I yeah. go down this road. Because there were a lot of just I, stop. J- stop. Stop. James. Mike, Listen to go. Derek. Stop. Yes. Dump button. <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs> okay. Let me. So how do me, we save I, I, American health care? Okay, let me give you my solution, and you tell me what's wrong with it. Everything. Okay. No, seriously, because I've thought this, and I don't under. So here's what I think should happen, and you tell me what's wrong with this. Instead of, like, 16 or 15 government programs, I mean, you said the difference, Medicare, Medicaid, one of them is for old people and the other is for the young and poor. Who cares about those distinctions? Just have one program. That for people that need the government's assistance with their health care. One thing, I'm not there. But then you have just quickly, a, point by point, because you're going to end okay, up with a, a 15,000 word question again that I'm not going to be able to address anything on. The reason okay. that they have differentiation between Medicare and Medicaid largely is because um, Medicare was a, the, the senior citizen, you mess with it, senior citizens vote. And you say we're going to open up Medicare to everybody. Senior citizens recognize that Medicare is going broke. Medicare is like a hundred billion dollar unfunded liability over the next twenty years or whatever it is. It's a it's a disaster. You add more people to that ship, you put more people on the Titanic, it just sinks faster. 
they recognize that. So they have to, for accounting purposes, even though it's all the government that's going down, they will. They have to separate them out. Plus, senior citizens like special attention. So they, they want certain things covered. But you remember when Dick Cheney was vice president and he had that internal defibrillator implanted into him. Remember that? Yeah. That wasn't covered by Medicare. Dick Cheney was of Medicare age. Dick Cheney got it. Senior said, wait a second, what the hell? And Congress had to scramble really quickly to get that added to Medicare. They did. They had to add it. They added that within like a couple of weeks um, to say, okay, now all seniors can have what Dick Cheney just had. Um, it's a different program. Since seniors vote at a higher rate, they get more things thrown at them than the young and the poor who don't vote at a particularly high rate. That's how you can end up with things. Yeah, you can. Yeah, but I'm okay. But what I'm talking about is take it. But what I'm saying is the fix. The fix is to screw all that political, those political considerations. If you're going to be with health care and you want to provide health care for your citizens, Mm -hmm. then have one bureaucracy that does the government stuff. The second thing is that private people that want to opt out and say, I don't want any government involvement at all. I don't want these people from the government involved in my health care. I want to take care of it myself. They should get a tax break. They should they should be able to opt out completely of government health care. I don't want it. Now do the public school system. I don't want to break on my property taxes because I'm homeschooling my kids. Um, No, look, the first thing you got to do is do you have any idea how much an X-ray costs? Yes. Any idea? No, you really don't. Not. Yes, I do because I'm paying for stuff out of my pocket. Okay, you're paying for stuff out of your own pocket. So, and let me tell you something. And and one of the first questions I ask when I go in is I'm paying for this. I need a t- I need a I need a price break mm-hmm. off this ridiculous price that you're charging. And guess what? You don't have to deal with insurance companies with me. You don't have to go through all that because I'm going to pay for the procedure that I want right now. And by the way, except for catastrophic stuff, which was my next thing. So if you, I think that there should be, you know, look, the thing that that scares most people is. What if something bad happens to me and I can't afford to pay for it? The catastrophic stuff. So, okay, if you if you want to set up an insurance system that just deals with uh, you, everybody pays a premium for catastrophic, no matter who they are. And if something catastrophic happens to you, and it should be well defined, then you're covered. So we take care of the catastrophic illnesses. Outside of that, do it yourself. There has to be price transparency. You are the exception. Isn't that what Donald world. Trump wanted? Isn't that what Trump tried to get in? I can't in? remember what he said. But I'm just telling you, it has to be that so you can shop around. You, yeah. you talked about, you know, and one of the problems, in, again, your exceedingly long question, you talked about the great care that you got at the NIH. And why can't everybody get that? Well, quite frankly, why can't everybody be Shohei Otani? Why can't it? Because not everybody is Shohei Otani. There are certain number of doctors in this country. Some are better than others. It's just the way it is. Not everybody can go see the best because the best doesn't have time to see everybody. You see what I'm saying? The ideal way would be to, I don't know, train people better and create more uh, great doctors rather than just more doctors. But that's beside the point. There are all sorts of things that are limited, not by government problems. God knows government creates enough problems, but just simple math. There isn't enough to go around.
And if you look at socialized medicine, now this has probably changed since then, but in the early 2000s, MRIs, I believe each province in Canada had one. One. Right. Which is a mess. If you need an MRI, it's going to take you a very long time. The average wait time for uh, diagnosis, uh, from diagnosis to cancer to being able to do anything about it, or a suspicion of cancer being able to get a diagnosis, was months. They had a, uh, uh, there was a lawsuit up there, Dr. Chauli, it was in, in um, Quebec. In Canada, just like in the United States, people don't realize this, their, their system is called Medicare for, it's Medicare, it's their socialized medicine, and we have Medicare here, they share something similar. That if something, a procedure is covered by Medicare, you cannot pay for it out of pocket. You just can't. So there was a guy who needed a hip replacement up in Canada, and it was a six-month waiting period. Now, you don't need a hip replacement because you got nothing better to do on a Tuesday, right? You need it because you, know, you wait as long as you can because you don't want to replace them too early. You want to get as much use out of the real deal as you can. But he was told six months. Six, six months of pain, six months of, of increasing pain. So he said, I want to pay for it on my own. He wasn't allowed to. You pay your doctor, you can cut the line. Well, socialized medicine is everybody suffers equally. So he had to sue. He ended up winning the right to pay for things out of pocket for things that are covered by Medicare up in Canada in Quebec. I don't know what happened ultimately with all of Canada, but you still can't do that in the United States. You get care. But if your doctor says there's a wait time, it's going to take a while, whatever, and you go, no, I really want this goiter removed. I really want whatever it is removed as quickly as possible. I'll just pay for it. If Medicare covers it, you can't pay for it because ultimately it's a little bit of a taste. It's a little bit of a salt and pepper in the bouillabaisse of socialized medicine to make it everybody equal. And they never raise everybody up to the top level. They sink everybody down to the bottom level, James. So if you think that giving everybody access to the kind of care that you had, it'd be great. It'd be utopic if you could do it. But ultimately, if you tried to do that, everybody gets the same care. It would be the guy operating out of the back of a van next to a, an abandoned mall. So you got to be. So careful what you're telling me is there is no fix for this. There is a fix for it in that most people don't need catastrophic care right away. Most people don't need surgery right now. Most people don't need, most people do need to be just insured against the catastrophes, right? That's, that's what you ultimately need it for. Most, yeah. I can't tell you, most people go see a, a nurse practitioner now, not even a doctor. We need to, I don't know, maybe do something about I the do, affordability. I do. I have a great nursing nurse. Do something about the affordability of, of, uh, of medical school so that people are not indentured servants for the first 10 years of it. We need to do something about reforming the medical malpractice laws. There was a time in my lifetime where if you stayed home from school, you'd see commercials throughout the day that were about ways to find a job, ways to improve yourself, be it trucking, be it mechanicing, going, going to some technical institute to repair electronics. Now you stay home from school and every other commercial is about some sort of prescription and a lawyer who will sue anybody who looked at your cross. <laughs> like that, that's a major change in society. And people feel entitled to certain things, and they need to recognize the difference between adverse outcomes and malicious intent, right? 
There's a huge difference. You can take all the medicine and do everything the doctor says and still die, still have your problem. It, whatever it is, not work. But it's different from a quack just, you know, throwing drugs at the problem or not really missing the tumor or whatever it is. There's a huge difference in there, but we don't have a legal system that incentivizes nuance. We have a legal system that says you've been wronged, get some money. There's a huge right. difference, and that costs money. There are counties, huge swaths of counties, plural, clustered together, particularly in places like Mississippi, where there's no gynecologist willing, no, not gynecologist, no OBGYN willing to deliver babies. Because of all the possible things that could go wrong, the insurance, the malpractice insurance, is just too damned expensive that they can't operate there. They physically move. That needs to change. We need a loser pays sort of system. Now, it can be you feel you've been wronged, you genuinely do, and it could go either way, but the court says no, and you don't have to pay. But if it is, you know, the guy who advertises 1-800-I'll-sue-anybody, and he just brings a case that even Stevie Wonder could look at and see as frivolous, then maybe that person has to sue, or that person has to pay. And you have to find a way to bring some personal responsibility back into it. There's there's no silver bullet to this, unless you got a Derek says there's no silver bullet, and I... Yeah. Uh, born this day, John McVie, the bassist. McVeigh. The bass it? player with Fleetwood Mac. And people do want to know who he is, except for the people that hate music. Um, yeah, so we, uh, happy birthday to John McVie, Fleetwood Mac on this day. Derek Hunter's with us, coming back, your call. Do not go away. It is our Saturday morning radio extravaganza here on WABC. Yeah, we care who the bass player is on this one, too. He's Hungarian-American, Bob Babbitt. Part of the Funk Brothers, the studio band for Motown. He's on this one. And so many others. War, Eric Starr, Tears of a Clown, Smokey and the Miracles. The What's Going On album, Mercy, Mercy Me. He did Ernestine Blues. Also, Band of Gold by Frida Payne. Ball of Confusion. Just My Imagination. One of the most uh, prolific bassists of the age. Bob Babbitt's birthday today. He died in 2012. The music lives on on WABC Talk Radio 77. Derek Hunter is here.
Hey, Derek, um, you know what I'd like to do? And I'm serious about this because you have um, you've enlightened me and not enlightened me a great deal in, in just this period of time. But I still have so many questions. And, of course, as you said, this could take 15 hours. So I have mm-hmm. a suggestion for you. Maybe when you maybe when I should carve out a time and do like maybe uh, a podcast because I want answers to this stuff. Here's what I believe, Derek. I think the Republicans have hurt themselves by not having a real clear vision on what health care is and James, being able to present something James, that makes sense. Yes, I Derek. Can, I can tell you, as somebody who used to brief members of Congress on health care, particularly Medicare and prescription drugs, that was really my wheelhouse back when uh, that was being added, Medicare Part D. Uh, Democrats are uh, very interested in this because they have an, an ultimate objective, and, Democrat, and Republicans want to know just enough so that they can talk about it with a constituent and then get away from them in about five minutes. They don't look at it. There are very few Republicans who are on any level similar to Democrats as far as knowledge on this. It's looked at as a Democrat issue. Mike Enzi out of Wyoming, I think it was, uh, Senator, he knew about it. He knew, I don't know, even know if he's still in the Senate, but he was one of the few people who was in the House at the time who really knew the issue of health policy. Most others didn't and didn't want to know. They needed enough to get by. They needed enough to explain why the Democrats were bad, and that was it. When they could not, when McCain came in in 2017 and ultimately gave the the thumbs down to not repeal and replace Obamacare, I would say 70 to 80 percent of the Republicans in Congress said, oh, thank God, because they did not understand what the replace part was. They did not want the responsibility for replace. See, if you repeal it, you, you suddenly you own it, right? And they thought, well, Democrats, they ran on, we need to repeal, we need to repeal, it's horrible, it's hurting people. And they got into a position to do it. They were all elected to do exactly that. And then they thought, oh, my God, if we do this, then we're in charge of this. Then we're responsible for this. And they're not good enough at messaging to be able to point out that, you know, the whole system is rotten because of Democratic involvement. This was just one layer of the stuff. So they, uh, they don't want to know. They don't want to know. And that's part of why Democrats are able to get away with so much is because with Ted Kennedy back in the 90s, HMOs are the root of all evil. They won't tell you that back in the 70s, Ted Kennedy authored the bill that created HMOs. This is like sitting around going, that guy over there is the worst human being on the face of the earth. Isn't that your son? Yeah, but still, you know, they do this constantly because and they're able to get away with it because republicans hear health care and they go uh everybody should have health care but it should be free market solution uh, now i gotta go pee and they run out of the room well that's what i don't want to do i don't want to run out of the room at least even if they don't listen i'd like to i'd like to understand this myself because i think if if this issue in america is actually america will not live up to its promise until we get this part of the equation straightened out. And that is how, how are people, anyway, so look, people that can afford it should pay for it. People that, that shouldn't, that's what we need a legitimate safety net for. And that's it. We got to go. I'm just looking at the, uh, at the time here, and it's time for news. Derek Hunter, always tell time people where they can reach you. talking about obscure basis, man. Yes. Uh, where can people find you, Derek? <laughs> 
Patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast if you like your news with a bit of swearing or just uh, search the Derek Hunter Podcast if you don't and uh, Town Hall and The Hill and on Twitter. D-E-R-E-K. I'm not the Derek Hunter who writes about pirates. Derek Hunter. (laughs) (laughs) One of the most amazing uh, journalists, commentators, broadcasters in our nation. And thank you for being part of the show as always, Derek. We appreciate you, you so much. Happy Black Saturday. Your card's in the Thank mail. you. Yes. Black Saturday here on WABC. Norm Layton's coming up with the news. And we're coming back. Do not go away. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. And welcome our number duo, Black Saturday, here on WABC Talk Radio 77. If you want to be part of the program, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-WABC. I hope Rhonda's going to be with us. I didn't. Even, I don't remember confirming with Rhonda. Anyway, America's. Yeah, we may. I know Princess Di is going to be here in the hour coming up. We'll give her a call next anyway. hour. Yeah, we'll just bug her no matter what she's doing. Good. If she doesn't pick up, she doesn't pick up. All right, sounds good to me. It is Saturday. It is Black Saturday. Go out, and spend your money. Go deeper in debt. Why not? What the hell? Just money. Get those credit cards working. Let those credit cards flame today, either online or in the store. Our number duo, we always look forward to chatting with Noam Layden, WABC News Director at Newsman Supreme. De- let's, Noam, how are you this Black Saturday? I'm doing all right. How are you on this Black Saturday? I'm doing great. I'm the black guy on Black Saturday. What could be wrong? That's okay? true. Yeah. <laughs> I'm loving it. Carlos is here. I know. He's, I know, but... Okay, so we got two black guys on Black Saturday. <laughs> yes, Ron is going to be with us, by the way. Uh, Noam, I have to ask you about this because you just answered a question for me during the news. I love when you do this. What's that? I love when you, about this Eric Adams thing. First of all, it's like I couldn't keep up with all the people that were all of a sudden, Jamie Foxx being sued for sexual When did that happen? I don't know. It was way back when, but she filed anyway. And then Axel Rose. And then uh, Andrew Cuomo, and then uh, and then the Mayor Adams thing was a shocker. It's like, whoa, he he did what? He's alleged to do what? And then you said in your your newscast that this woman, this is not her first date in court, apparently. No, she's filed other lawsuits. So I don't know. If, uh, Governor Hochul had opened up this window where you could go after accusers over this year period of time, and it's sunset. Uh, on Friday. So that's why you saw these last minute lawsuits, the one against Governor Cuomo, the one against Mayor Adams, whether there's any merit to them, that part I can't answer. Yeah, but this woman has sued for other stuff before. And Adams is saying he doesn't even, well, which is uh, the first statement I have, I don't know this woman. I, I didn't even remember who she was. It was a story that someone did the, the legwork and apparently she did work at, um, the transit police while he was there, but there was no indication from anything that 
he ever met her or anything like that. No, I'm not saying one way or the other. I don't know either. So I guess this is what the court case is going to let us know. What, what kind of evidence that she will present to back up her assertions here? Um, it's 30 years ago. That's the crazy part, right? I mean, you know, you're talking 1993. So uh, you, does she have physical evidence she held on to? Does she have recordings? And what does she have? See, that's what I always wondered. I keep wondering in my life. So what is she going to show up with in court from 30 years ago? What if you what if you ask the question what and what day was that uh, and what were you doing that day thirty years ago? I can't even remember what I did two weeks ago on a specific day. Uh so I don't know if this is interesting. Now, uh Jamie Foxx was one of the other ones that said um he was uh, he said that the woman that had accused him had brought the suit before, it was thrown out, and when it gets thrown out this time, he's gonna go after her and her lawyers for for uh, the, for this prosecution. I don't know. I didn't hear anything about the Axel Rose one or um, and this woman that is suing Andrew Cuomo. Is this the same one that alleged before that he had touched her boobies in her butt? Yeah. In fact, she was one of those 11 that essentially brought him down that forced him to resign two years ago. So uh, and she gave an interview, you know, we have plenty of taper for her talking about this. And she goes into, you know, good detail about what she says took place with her and the governor. What did she say took place? She says that there was two separate times where they were alone. One time where he shut the door, he slammed the door so hard that she says she can't imagine other people in the area didn't hear the door slam. And then she came over, he came over and put his hands under her blouse. And then another time she claims that also when the two of them were alone, he took his hands and put her on her, uh, put it on her behind. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder how she's going to prove that in court. This ought to be interesting, especially since she says that they were alone. Yeah. Okay, we'll see how all this stuff plays out. And so now this whole thing is file your lawsuit now. Is, file your lawsuit now is over, right? It is. So that's why you saw just the, all these last second ones. You know, the Jamie Fox one too, by the way, which was I think from 2015. All of them in this last week or so, I guess these accusers said, "Hey, I better get it in, or it's I'm not getting anything." And then they did. Uh huh. And this week, I read that a uh, 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 former governor Cuomo is actually considering a mayor for a run for mayor. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Has he said <laughs> yeah. that, or is just everybody talking about that? Anyone that his his uh, people close to him, I called it the trial balloon. They they thrown up a trial balloon to see what public reaction would be. That's what I think it is. He hasn't said directly, yes, I'm running for mayor of New York, but people close to him, advisors and people close to him say that he's exploring that as a possibility. Well, you know, you could make the argument that he might win. First of all, Mayor Adams has to go somewhere, right? I mean, he's still got time left on the clock. Uh, though he has that fund ro- fundraising probe th- uh, uh, from Turkey that surrounds him. Now he has this uh, sex assault. Of course, he's got the migrant mess. I mean, he's got a lot on his plate, but the- so far there's nothing pushing him out. But I guess if he did, maybe Cuomo wants to be the guy who believes he would be the savior for New York City. He would step in. Most of the time, isn't running for mayor. It just, it's, 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 
it, after you've been governor, isn't it like a demotion to run for mayor afterwards? Is that a, how, how is that viewed in public opinion, do you think? I know this is just straight-up opinion. I think that might be true almost anywhere else you go. But, you know, for so many years, people call the mayor of New York City the second most important job in the nation after being president because it's such a big city and you yield so much power and you have the media here, you have Wall Street here, and it's a gig people want. So... Normally, I would agree with you. I would say, yeah, maybe it's a demotion. But in the case of New York City, it might not be. Oh, okay. Now, the other thing that you talked about was the uh, the hostage releases have. And I, I didn't I was looking at stories and stuff and I heard the news, but I didn't hear all of it. Have any Americans been released yet? No. Norm, do you know? No Americans. No. 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 So our president was the news stories all week. He's negotiating, he's negotiating tough. And he's about, yeah, putting all this pressure. And then we do have, thankfully, some hostages finally being released. And no Americans. That's no. odd. James, it's, it's a mess, and they don't they don't have the final say. When you are holding on to that many hostages, and for the most part, the Israelis, the Americans, the world have no idea where they're being held. They don't know whether even any of them are all, if all of them are alive. In fact, one of the hostages released yesterday, they were shocked when they saw the list and they saw her name on it. They thought she was dead. So the information they had was wrong. So when you have that, how much say do you have in the end in terms of who's let go? They desperately, of course, want these people to come out alive. And it seems like they're willing to do most anything to make that happen. But in the end, the Hamas has the Hamas has the final say in this. So <clears throat> how long, how much longer? I'm sorry if I'm putting the spot with this one. How much longer this the ceasefire was initially for a few days. It was like four I thought four or five days they were going to said okay any I'm, I'm seeing hints that that may be extended do you, is that what you what you're seeing as well that they may extend the the ceasefire time to allow even more hostages to come out yeah well the thought is it was this four day window and they would get 12 or 13 hostages a day and for each hostage let go the israelis would uh let three prisoners out of israeli prisons uh women and children or women and minors free so three hostages for one israeli or american whoever hostage they held in gaza and the fighting would stop for four days and the aid would get into Gaza, the, you know, the food, the fuel, that kind of thing. But the Israelis, of course, said, hey, if you want to keep this going past four days, you keep the hostages going and we'll keep the pause and the war going. So we don't know for sure if that's going to happen. Uh, it, of course, the thought is by many is it gives Hamas and who's at this point been pretty battle bruised by Israel time to regroup. And I imagine they're doing that to some extent. Do they want the extra time? They may. Uh, do they have other ideas uh, set for the hostages? We just don't know. Wow. Okay. Last and not least, it was Thanksgiving, and we had, and, and then we would, did Black Friday before Black Saturday, and things seemed to be going well from the standpoint of at least the online sales. I heard some unbelievable number. I don't have it in front of me of online sales that were made yesterday and the billions of dollars people are spending online and uh, maybe it was a billion or something high like that and then retail stores don't seem to be doing that you know they're not I don't hear record breaking numbers like we're not getting those stories but they there seems to be traffic 
at some of the retail environments. So people are spending money in preparation for the Christmas holidays. So is it, this Black Friday quote, and Black Saturday won't be a bust is what I'm getting. It's not going to be a bust. At least things are going well. Yeah, it's not what it used to be because the retailers, both online and in person, have started these Black Friday sales early in November. I mean, in some cases right after Halloween. So it's not like it was years ago where it was like a one day thing. And, you know, I can remember, uh, James being sent out onto the streets to cover the story Black Friday. And there'd be people, uh, who had been in tents for like a week outside Best Buy to get like a PlayStation. I remember, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Those days are over. That doesn't really happen anymore. So. Uh, Adobe Analytics, which follows this whole thing, the retail season, says they did about $7.3 billion online just on Friday. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. It was billion. Seven billion online? Yeah. Yeah, that's how I like doing my Black Friday shopping, by the way. You know, you just mentioned PlayStation. I was just looking for the story. There's a huge lawsuit about PlayStation. What's that? It's like a price-fixing lawsuit. I'm trying to find this story while I'm talking to you because I had it up. And I was just, uh, I was shocked the, the, when I saw it. The, the You know, I don't, my kids are just so addicted to that stuff. I mean, they can just spend 7, 10, 12, 15 hours. And now, of course, because you're connected to the world, you're playing against strangers. And if you're not playing against strangers, you're playing against your friends. And, and sometimes I'll sit down to play with them, and I'm like, really? Okay, like an hour. That's kind of fun. But if I leave them to their own devices, they'll spend the entire you know, uh, Thanksgiving break in front of PlayStation. They, do they have the headsets, and are they talking? I think that's really cool that you can hook up with people all over the world, people you don't even know in different countries, and just play games with them. And um and and you join teams with people, and I'm sure they have the headsets. Do they, they have the big gaming computers now, um, or or what are they doing it on TV with the with the actual um with the actual box? Yeah, and and the trash talking that goes on now. My kids just for whatever reason they're not into that, the whole trash talking thing. But sometimes they'll hand me the headphones and they'll say, "Listen to what people are saying to me." <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable, you know, just the trash talking. I mean, it's kind of funny. And I'm surprised my kids don't want to respond for whatever reason. They're just, you know, it's like whatever. They just keep playing the game. I love it. Did you see? Did you see? <laughs> Susan Sarandon had an interesting time, um, and her son is out today. Boy, this is a, this is a hoot. Uh, Susan Sarandon's son. I didn't know he was an actor. I didn't know she had a son. His name is Miles Robbins. Uh, she was, of course, let go after her uh, controversial speech about the Israel-Hamas war. Uh, she was let go by her agents, and um, and so her his, her son is now taking the social media. Get this, Noam. Her son is, says, "Okay, I'm really grateful to see people on Twitter defending my mom amidst a new era of McCarthyist blacklisting. But can you please?" He says in caps. Can you please? Stop using the clip of her getting with her honkers out. (laughs) (laughs) I got to go look that up. (laughs) She she has a picture, and it's a very busty picture, I must say. uh, And she was obviously a lot younger. Well, I shouldn't say obviously. She was a lot younger than she is now, and it's a very interesting picture. 
And her uh, young son is saying, hey, yeah, thanks for supporting mom, but stop passing around this picture of mom with her honkers out. Well, you know, you can imagine being the kid. You get, you'd be creeped out that your mom's picture of her knockers out is on the Internet is probably a little disturbing. There's nothing you want to see. That's great. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> which often, which I often wonder how these people now that are on, on like TikTok and OnlyFans and all this stuff with this. How how are these? I wonder what society is going to be like in another fifteen twenty years when these when some of these young younger folks become moms and and all that stuff and and they have kids in school and. Then the kids, hey, mom, guess what I found? So in school. <laughs> That's awesome. Especially the OnlyFans stuff. You know, it's going to all come out. You know, so, it's going to all come out. Yeah. And then you have to explain to your kid. I guess maybe the explanation is I made enough money to send you to college. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so shut up and stop looking at the pictures. <laughs> you know, because some of these people, I mean, it's unbelievable how much money they take. And I mean, you only need like maybe a thousand followers and you have a full-time living where you're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and it's amazing some of the things people are doing i was stunned when i saw that cake sitting has now become a paying art cake sitting yes what is that we've talked about this haven't we yes i'm glad you asked let me explain it to you (laughs) know (laughs) him cake sitting is uh, there, there are uh, some people apparently either buy or make or have made for them these very beautiful cakes, and so you see a picture of the cake, a video of the cake being presented, and then you see it is always, from what I can tell, a woman, and the woman has either on a thong or nothing, and you never see the woman's face. You see the back of the woman from the head on down, and there is all kind of music and so forth and so on. And then you watch the video as the woman plants her posterior and sits on. on. I'm not Come kidding on. you. I'm not kidding. So this is like and some strange fetish that people are into. I I don't know, but apparently it's a big money maker on it's a big money maker on one of these sites, and it has taken off like a rocket. And women have been paid thousands and thousands of dollars on social media to sit on cakes. Oh my god, with their naked booties. So odd. Does it does it work for men? Because I'm going to head out to a bakery after work today and forget. I'll leave this news job. I'll do that full time, sitting on cakes. I don't know whether it works for men. Yeah, men, men, but aren't men great? Because they're you know they're turned on by all kinds of weird, wacky stuff. That one I had never heard of before. It's a thing, and they pay Cake for sitting. it. They pay and, for and, it. And, People pay for it. <laughs> People's people pay to watch other people sit on cakes. Oh, that's great. <laughs> oh, so bizarre. <laughs> oh my God. You know what I'm going to do right now, right? What, I'm going to go look that up because I'm, gonna, okay. course, I'm at work, though. Will I get fired if I go look that up? I'm not sure. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's a thing. <laughs> oh, no. I'm always a pleasure, my man. Happy uh, Thanksgiving weekend, Black. Saturday to you, Noah. Appreciate you being here. Right back. It's always fun talking to you. Uh, Tina Turner takes us in, folks. Uh, Tina Turner's birthday.
Of course, Tina Turner passed away this past May. Born November 26, 1939. Her biggest of the big hits, and she had so many of them. Iconic rock and roll artist. First with Ike and Tina Turner, and then on her own. Saturday morning, radio extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Yeah, Tina Turner's birthday, by the way, is tomorrow, not today. But we'll celebrate it today because we're not here tomorrow. Okay, on this day in uh, 2010... One of the nastiest pranks ever. So this happened in uh, Amherst, Massachusetts. A guy wearing a fake pass for Bob Dylan, like one of those backstage pass, one of those passes that you're with the group. ordered from this restaurant, Antonio's Restaurant, ordered 178 pizzas, claiming they were for Bob Dylan and the crew. The staff at Antonio's worked until 5.30 a.m. to make the 178 pizzas. $3,900 worth of pizza. Nobody knocked on the door to claim it. That A prank. sucks. Big that time. sucks. I hope that, you know, karma. There's karma in the world. Whatever, whoever did that, we will never know, but... One hopes that there was a karmic effect. Let's head to the telephones. Ah, we have Susan and Sandra. Let's start with Sandra, and then we'll go to Susan. And we've got other. Hi, Sandra. Welcome. Saturday morning, Radio Extravaganza. How are you this morning? Oh, I'm very well, thank you. Uh, good morning, James and Derek. James, you Derek know, is I gone. Know you've got. Oh, okay. Okay. Bye, Hello, Derek. James. Thank you. <laughs> yes. So I wanted to comment on an article I read. It's, all, it's all, less than a week old. And I know you've gone on cruises with Mark Stein, so maybe you might have something to say about what happened to this woman. She and her two children and her husband were traveling on Carnival Cruise Line. She's gone on the ship 12 times prior. This particular time, she's boarding the vessel and they check her backpack and they find that she has Matera CBD gummies sleep time. It's like she can't sleep, so she takes this 25 milligrams per gummy and um, it has less than 0.01 uh, 
THC, and I know Congress says you can't have more than 0.3, so this is less than 0.01. She was uh, treated like a criminal. She couldn't go on the ship, and, and certainly her family wouldn't go without her. She was uh, forced to have to pay all costs, you know, that she would have had. She had to pay for everything, even if she didn't even go on this trip. She got a very nasty letter from the captain. She would never be able to go on that ship again. What do you think of this? I think this is great publicity for Carnival. That's what. Yeah, if you if you don't want to travel on a cruise line, here's one not to travel on. That's what I think. That's horrible. I don't know why they didn't I just know. say, okay, listen, our policy says you can't bring that on here. Please throw them out and, and have a good Exactly. Cruise. Exactly. You know? Here's a waste paper basket. Just leave them here. Have a great cruise and enjoy yourself. I don't know why they would treat someone like this. Of course, I didn't read the story, so I'm just going to, I'm, I'm taking your word for it, obviously, and I don't think you're lying. You read the story, and you were reporting what you read. So, um, oh, I'll give you wow. her name if you want her name. No, I, I don't, no, 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 but it's just, that's just terrible. I wonder whether the folks at, really, at Carnival really think that's a good idea to treat their clients like that, especially a multiple, someone that's been with your line 12 times. Huh. I would just say to her, try another cruise line. In fact, um, yeah, yes. And I have, and the Mark Stein cruise was absolutely pleasurable. And, uh, if I, if there's another one coming up, if I'm going to go, I'll tell you guys about it. Um, so thank you, Sandra. Appreciate the call so much. Let's go to Susan in, I guess it's Finger Lake. Susan, how are you uh, this morning? I'm hanging in there. But you know what? I need you to really, uh, you spoke about this a few weeks back about our um, the dictator Hochul and this appeal of this lawsuit um, to have, be able under any kind of emergencies or pandemics or that she could she wants to set up encampments that can force people to quarantine. I think the military would be possibly involved. I don't know the details. But I heard uh, just on this station someone calling in about it, and I wonder if you could update us on this. I will have to take a note to look at it. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. And also what, Susan? Okay. Andrew Evilides Cuomo, he, um, during those powers, he banned hydroxychloroquine, which could have saved, and talk about the nursing homes, now, I know because you've talked about your um, experience that you were at death's door and you were luckily, you know, got hydroxychloroquine, which you believe was responsible for. Not only do I believe it, I know it. Not only do I look, look, Susan, this to me is not even belief. I know. And, and there are others that will testify, those that were helping take care of me when I was at death's door with COVID. And hydroxychloroquine is what within within an hour of taking hydroxychloroquine, I started my rebound. And it was, and let me tell you, I had never experienced anything like that case of COVID. Nothing like it. And when I'm telling you I was at death, I was ready because it was the most debilitating thing. I can't even tell you how sick I was. And I had great, I had a great frontline doctor. It's too bad I can't give out her name. And I have a great uh, frontline crew, not just my doctor, but my nursing nurse, who was still my nursing nurse. In fact, by the way, nursing nurse weighed in 
on um, the cake sitting story. Nursey nurse is listening this morning. She said, make sure you tell people before they go off and start trying to make money sitting their naked behinds on cake women that that would also, those are the ingredients for a terrible yeast infection. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you, nursey nurse. Um, <laughs> and bye. <laughs> and nursey nurse knows cakes, by the way. Um, in fact, if I were ever going to do a cake sitting, never mind. Um, but anyway, uh, so yes, we'll look into the Hokel biz- uh, this Hokel business and all these bans, and it wasn't just hydroxychloroquine. Uh, in some liberal states, they banned ivermectin. And of course, they did a whole smear campaign around ivermectin saying, oh, this is for horses. This is horse medicine. It, it has a dual use, as many medicines do. I'm not a doctor. I have to disqualify that. But I understand from my reading that ivermectin has a, 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 uh, a dual use. It is used, yes, it is used by veterinarians, but it is also used, of course, in humans. And there are many medicines that are used uh, for veterinary uh, purposes that are also used in human beings because the medicines work. By the way, we share 98% of our DNA with, with, with animal species, with other animal species, human beings, of course, a part of creation, part of the whole mix. So there's a story today, too. I covered one story, the Air Force, and the Army now are trying to backtrack on all these people they fired because they didn't go through their mandatory vax, and now they're begging them to come back. Oh, let's amend your record. And just, yeah, we didn't, you know, when we fired you, yeah, because they can't meet their recruiting goals now. Covered that story early in the week. we got to take a break. Thanks for the call, Susan. We're going to come back. More of your calls coming up later on. Princess Di joins us. And later on, America's Small caffeinated mom will join us. Her essay is up at the Daily BS. Ah, RDO Speedwagon takes us in. Keep on loving you. Our Saturday morning radio extravaganza here on Black Saturday. James, welcome aboard. Nice to see you again, sir. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Last night I said these words to my girl. 1962. November 26th, that's tomorrow. Anniversary of the Beatles recording this one. Would turn out to be their second single, and boy, was it huge. It was released in the U.S. under the VJ label. And the first pressings of this record had a typographical error. The band's name was spelled The Beatles, 
with two T's. I need to look and see whether I have one of those first pressings somewhere. I have this, like, vast collection of singles. I used to have them in alphabetical order. And then when I moved, the boxes broke and everything got... And it took me months to do it. So I just threw them up all on the shelf and I'm just like, oh, I, haven't, I don't even look at them anymore. But I need to go back in my singles and look. Because I know I have some pressings of this uh, record. Please, please me. Took 18 takes for them to do this. That's unusual for them. Yeah, but it turned out well, right? Yep. I found that story, and then we're going to go back to the phones, about Sony that I was talking about with, uh, with Noam. It's not here. It's in London. Sony has to uh, face a mass lawsuit that could end up being worth $7.9 billion over PlayStation. The lawsuit contends that PlayStation, Sony, has abused its dominant position, and they have been pricing the PlayStations unfairly for customers. And so this is what a London tribunal ruled already. This is Sony Interactive Entertainment was sued last year on behalf of nearly 9 million people in the United Kingdom who had bought digital games or add-on content through Sony's PlayStation Store. A a consumer advocate who worked on previous campaigns brought the case against Sony, valued up to £6 billion plus £5 billion, that translates to $6.3 billion plus interest. So they've already been found. The question is how much they're going to have to pay. Wow. Hint, hint. I bet the lawyers around here are like looking at this saying, oh, really? Oh, I think we should get all beaks wet to you. And little mate, look here. They just got Sony. They just stuck up Sony for $7.9 billion. It could be almost $8 billion. How many of those billions do you think we'll get if we'll bring a suit against Sony for price fixing, huh? Yeah, the solicitors over there, the well, solicitors did quite well. With Sony, we got on the first for almost $8 billion on their little PlayStation. Oh, go play with that. Let's make a game out of that, shall we? How we beat Sony's. <clears throat> oh, man. Hint. U.S. lawyers, money, jackpot waiting. Wow. I can't wait to see what Princess Di wants to talk about today. Uh, there are a number of stories out here about the, oh, have you seen the, um, I told you yesterday about uh, the kerfuffle over Senator John Kennedy's Uh, remarks about Kamala Harris, Vice President Kamala Harris. It it, it was great. He was on a news show somewhere, and he was basically talking about uh, Kamala Harris's, he said that people talk about her IQ, and he said, you know, his advice is that when Kamala Harris' IQ gets to 79, she ought to sell. (laughs) I love that. And of course, of course, 
Democrats have gone on the warpath. What a racist. It's, he's racist. How dare he say such a <laughs> How dare he say such a thing about Kamala Harris? How dare them how dare he say insult her and say that her she doesn't have a great IQ. He's a racist. And then uh, uh what's your name? Corey Bush uh Corey what's your name? Bush out of whatever it is. The member of the squad basically came up with some derivation of the word misogynist to say that he's a misogynist. He's treating Kamala Harris. Not only is he a racist, he's misogynist for saying such a horrible thing about Kamala Harris, Vice President Kamala Harris, these people. Now, Kamala Harris, Vice President of the United States, put out a Thanksgiving picture. And she and her husband... Dougie, is that his name? Dougie? Yeah, Doug Imhoff. They posed for this picture standing next to a gas stove. I guess it's in their kitchen. Now, that immediately drew criticism. Why? Why? Because the Biden administration has been advocating that you need to get rid of your gas stoves. Just like Miss Hochul, she uses gas. There are pictures of her with her gas stoves, even as they were writing in the bills to prohibit you from using your gas stove. Because, of course, you at home using your gas stoves, why, you're killing the earth. You're hurting the environment. How dare you use your gas stove? You need to cook on an electric stove. Never mind actual fire. So... Vice President Kamala Harris faced criticism on social media after she shared a post of her and Second Gentleman. It's a dumb name, Second Gentleman. I just don't call me Second Gentleman. Just call me Dougie or something. Second Gentleman. You're not a First Gentleman. Who cares? Why do you want to be the Second Gentleman? And then who's the third gentleman? If you're married, if, if the Speaker of a House is a woman, would that make the speakers, because she's third in line when it was Pelosi, did that make her husband the, the third gentleman? And who's the fourth gentleman? And how long does this line of gentlemen go? Why, I'm the sixth gentleman. Anyway, she and second gentleman, Doug Emhoff, posed next to a gas stove on Thanksgiving, despite the Biden administration's proposal earlier this year advocating for the banning of gas stoves. Yeah. Hey, Kamala, when your IQ gets up there to 79, sell. WABC Talk Radio 77. Oh, yeah. The Marvin takes us in. This is... I can dig it, too. Marvin Gaye from the iconic What's Going On album on WABC. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza on Black Saturday. Mother, mother, there's too many of you to cry. Brother, 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 there's far too many of you die. You know we Some loving here today yeah. Father, Father 
Phil and Phil. Phil Collins, Philip Bailey. Genesis meets Earth, Wind, and Fire. With this one, Easy Lover on WABC Talk Radio 77. Video from this always fun to look at. Oh, did you see that um, Rob Reiner is now doing his own um, JFK invest assassination investigation series? He's got some kind of podcast. And he's supposedly going to name names of who really killed JFK. Oh, yeah. That's just what we need. First, Oliver Stone. Now, Rob Reiner, affectionately known. What did Archie Bunker call him? Yeah. Oh, yes. Princess Di is coming up with us. And uh, let us get back to uh, the uh, telefield, shall we? Uh, Jeff has been waiting an extremely long time. Uh, Jeff, thank you for your patience. Uh, In Brooklyn. Hello, Jeff. Welcome to our Saturday morning. Hi. Well, I'm glad to be here. Listen to you all the time, and you're a big help to the city. Anyway, um, about 7 o'clock in the morning, we had a, maybe seven or eight planes come over the uh, lower Manhattan area. Uh, and the left a little mark on the sky. We have chemtrails. We have a crosshatch of these things. We've just had in the last half an hour a second. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You said you had seven or eight military uh, planes flying over where you are, and they left chemtrails? Yes, sir. And I have pictures and of this, which I'll be glad to text to you folks. Because you I have look right pictures? out over the harbor. Yes. I certainly do, sir. And you have pictures of them doing the chemtrails. And they're in the sky now. If anybody wants to crane their neck out their window in the Brooklyn Heights area, lower Manhattan area, and look up, you will see... Uh, a cross hatcher of these things, they're extensive. There was one wave of them came over, then there's another wave came over. No, I don't know what they are spraying. The last time that people have sampled these things, when they came over, they put out pans and they got bromide compounds, whatever that is. But the thing is that, uh, uh, oh, I can tell you, there's some biochemists that did that over here in Brooklyn Heights. We're lousy with technical people over here and NGO people. 
But uh, the thing is that this is what happened this morning. Is we had a second wave of this, and people look oh. up in the sky and they can see this. Oh my my! I wish I could give you my phone number so you could text me the pictures, but I can't do that. I got to find a way well, to get okay. these pictures. I got you know I do have an email address here at WABC that you can send me the pictures to, but I don't want to give that out over the air either because then I'll be deluged with emails. But Let's see. We're going to put you back on hold. There's got to be some kind of way that we can get these pictures of these chemtrails. I want these chemtrails. I want to see them. I want We'll get your email address. We'll send you. We'll have someone send you an email, and it'll be, this is about the chemtrails. We'll put a subject in line like that. This is about the chemtrails. And we'll get these pictures of the chemtrails and these military jets putting chemtrails up in the air. And then we got to find the right scientist to go through and tell us what are they spraying over New York? Who is spraying the chemtrails over New York? At last, after all these years of speculating, we have the proof. The chemtrails exist. We have the pictures of them being made. And now the missing step, all we need is the scientist to come in and tell us what the government is spraying into the air above your land in Brooklyn. Jeff, this could be monumental. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate the call more than you will ever know. Thank you. The mystery of the chemtrails will be soon revealed to the world. Mike, in New Jersey, you're up next on W. Get his, get that, I want these pictures. Mike in New Jersey, you're up next. <laughs> Hi, Bo. I'm glad to speak to you again. I called, I talked to you almost two years ago, talking about the need for a uh, daily newspaper, paper, national paper, that we could see things going on. And you said that you knew something, but you couldn't talk about it. I don't know if you remember that. Yes, I do. And I still know something. Let me tell you, there are plans being hatched for all kinds of things, but they cost big money, and people are still trying to put together the big money together. So I can't talk about it still. But people are, folks, there are, let me just say something that is going on out here that I can talk about with regard to this. There are a committed group of patriots, patriots around the country, patriots, patriots, that are actually very intent, and some of them <clears throat> have left their profession that they were doing so that they could start the, the framework of what they're calling the parallel economy. And what is the parallel economy? The parallel economy is starting the framework so that every vertical or industry dominated by leftists, that there is a counter to it. This is a huge undertaking. It will not be done in two, three, four, five years. It may not be done in our lifetime. But the effort is underway to start to take back at least influence in some of the industries uh, that have been totally dominated by the left. You think about what it's going to take to actually, you see what's happening on college campuses, right? What is it going to take? to bring a modicum of fairness back into the education system, where you have colleges, high schools throughout the country dominated 
by liberalism. Now, then you go industry by industry, go through the tech industry, go through the financial services industry, go through the auto. You go keep going through every industry. The liberals have built an economy that is self-sustaining for them, and they use it to put pressure on every aspect of life through their uh, business dealings. You see right now in the banking industry, for instance, there have been some bankers that have been accused of of uh, 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 denying service to conserve. They don't like you. They don't like the fact that this company over here manufactures guns. So they tell them, oh, you can't do business with us anymore or something like that. So the beginnings of a, um, of a create a parallel economy are already underway in our country, and there's a lot, and it also deals with the media. And that's all I'll say about it at this point, because we are coming up on the end of another hour here. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, our number duo is done and in the can. Our number trio Featuring the one, the only, Princess Diana. Princess Di, the Princess of Policy, will be up with us in the next hour. As well as America's small caffeinated mum. Caffeinated mum. Rodney Schrock. Both of them coming up in the next hour, as well as more of your telephone calls. As we celebrate Black Saturday here on WABC. The news with Noam Layden coming up. Keep it right here with us. And do not go away. Nerdly on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Welcome to our number trio here on WABC. Our Saturday morning radio extravaganza, both Nerdly with you here. 800-848-WABC is the number to call. 800-848-9222 here on Black Saturday. Princess Di coming up shortly. Later on this hour, America's small caffeinated mom, Rhonda Schrock, comes up. I found the story. I found a version of the story. It's a, There are many, apparently, places. I found the New York Post the version of the story that our, our caller, our wonderful caller, told us about last hour. It was um, last week. And she said that. She had held on to the story for about a week. The, the story's in the New York Post. Carnival Cruise Line slaps Texas mom with lifetime ban after she bought CBD sleep-tight gummies on the ship. Carnival Cruise Line banned a Texas mother from its fleet for life after she tried to get on board one of the company's ship with a pack 
of CBD sleep aid gummies in Miami. By the way, in Florida, I think, I believe the medicinal use of uh, certain things is law. Melinda Van Veldhuizing, 42-year-old mom of two, said she was treated like a criminal by cruise employees and police when they found a a bag of CBD sleep-type gummies while searching her backpack at the Port of Miami over the summer. The Dallas-based nurse practitioner told the news station she packed the gummies to help her get some sleep on the August trip she had planned to take with her family to celebrate her 21st wedding anniversary with her son, her, her son's senior year of high school, and her husband. She was taken to a separate area after the crews found the gummies. She was interrogated by Carnival Security and police for two and a half hours. The mom, who noticed she's never even gotten a parking ticket, was blocked from boarding the ship, and her husband and sons didn't want to go on the cruise to Aruba. Caraco, the Dominican Republic without it, they had spent almost $5,586 on the planned vacation. Her attorney told the Washington Post, CBD, a compound commonly derived from hemp that doesn't cause impairment or a high, is different from marijuana, which contains THC, a mind-altering substance, and that's according to the CDC. By the way, do you know who used to grow hemp? Our, Our founders in this country, some of them grew hemp. That was one of the crops that they grew, hemp. CBD is legal in most of the country. After Congress removed hemp, defined as any part of the cannabis stable plant with no greater than 0.03 of the THC from the list of controlled substances, her gummies contained less than 0.01% THC. Less than 0.01. The hemp product, however, is prohibited by Carnival Cruise Lines. While certain CBD products used for medicinal purposes may be legal in the U.S., they are not legal in the ports we visit and therefore are also considered prohibited items. Its website says, so fine, tell her to throw them away. Soon after she was forbidden from going on the cruise she paid for, she received a letter from Carnival involving her that she was banned from all Carnival ships for life. I would tell Carnival to kiss my... And every... I totally just... Fine. Don't have to worry about that, mate. Won't be, won't, won't be swabbing the decks with you anymore. The letter signed by Captain Rocco Lebrano states that she will not be permitted to sail on board any Carnival Cruise Line's vessel in the future. Good. Had no intention of ever coming back on your lousy cruise line anyway, Mike. Take your little Carnival and just... That would be my reaction. The decision was based on your actions on the current cruise, which were in a violation of the ship rules, interfered with the safety. Oh, get this crap. Interfered with the safety and enjoyment of other guests on the ships or caused harm to Carnival. What did this woman do that interfered 
with the safety and enjoyment of other guests or cause any harm to freaking carnival. She says she's taken more than a dozen carnival cruises over the years, was freaked out by the letter. I thought, oh, oh my gosh. She says, I thought it was one of those situations where like, oh, shoot, I left a bottle of water in my backpack. You got to throw it away kind of thing. That happens at the TSA. Yeah, that's what she thought. Look the way they treat her. I tell you, I've never been on a carnival cruise. I have sailed with other cruise lines. And after reading this, somebody says to me, you want to go on one of these? No, thank you. Keep it. No, thank you. You Treat people like that. Just throw it away. She's been on a dozen of these. You know, these cruises are not cheap. I have a nice little hint for you. I I should just plug the two. I've had great experiences on cruises. I don't want to give free plugs. I was about to tell her which cruise lines I've been on. And I have been treated great on every cruise line that I've been on. I haven't been on this. I haven't been on a crappy cruise line. Where they treat their customers like dirt. Because they dare bring a sleeping aid in their backpack. Oh, the shame of it all. Unbelievable. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to go to break early. That's what we're going to do. Because I want to talk to Princess Diana. And that's what we're going to do here. It is Black Saturday on WABC Talk Radio 77. So glad you're here. Your phone calls are coming up too. So if you're on hold, stay on hold. We're going to get those Kemp Trail pictures, by the way. What an unmistakable voice. Joining on WABC Talk Radio 77. Coming back with Princess Di. Coming back with your phone calls. Coming back with America Small. Exactly right. Nursey Nurse just said, never again would I sell carnival. Absolutely freaking right. I would never set foot on that cruise line ever again we'll be back right after this well i knew it was steve perry i just thought it was with journey i didn't realize this is when he was a single artist i think it's his first single oh okay that's why i had the time frame jumbled the, what I remembered was Foolish Fool as his breakout. Oh, this one. It's from the, they're oh. from the same album, his first solo album. Right. And I didn't remember that single. This one I knew was the same. Oh. Oh, I love this song so much. You know who he reminds me of in this song? He reminds me of Sam Cooke. I see it. I 
He's like a. He's like a. It's not a ripoff of Sam. He just reminds me. The style reminds me. I could hear Sam Cooke singing this song. Time for Radio Royalty with James Golden and America's Princess of Policy, Princess Di. Ah, yes, my friends. This is where I have an opportunity to consort with Grace. To consort. To consort with royalty. To consort above my station in life. Oh, my goodness. That's right. I'll get a chance to, I'll get a chance to, 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 to mingle with the higher ups, the better thans, the upstairs people, while I'm still a downstairs kind of guy, the aristocracy of policy, the one that lives high on the hog. Her royalness, <laughs> Princess Di. <laughs> and don't forget, you are Sir James. You have been knighted by me, so you have every right to mingle with whoever you want. <laughs> yes, but I, you know, you know, when you're used to being downstairs, you never quite get the feeling that you've been promoted to upstairs. You always still feel like you're downstairs on that thing, you know. <laughs> Oh, well, I hope that you turn over a new leaf for the new year and act the night that you are. Well, thank you. You know, did you ever watch that Downton Abbey thing? Or how do you pronounce it anyway? Down- I Downton? don't know. I never could. I'm sorry. I, I tried watching it for five seconds and I could never. Sorry. Couldn't make myself do it. A lot of people love it and not my thing. Did you Downton? ever watch Gild- did, did you Did you ever watch Gilded Age? No. Okay, here's another one. Did you ever watch, what's the name of that one? Come on, help me here. You know her name. The Jane, uh, uh, is it Austin? Um, Come on, Diana, you have to know this stuff. (laughs) I don't know what you mean. Are you talking about Jane Eyre? Pride pride and Prejudice. Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, no. I, I'm sorry. I do not watch a lot of television. I watch some decorating shows and that sort of thing. That's my my guilty pleasure. You don't watch any British TV at all? No. Maybe I should. Then I'll start having an accent like you. Uh, I tell you, that's a shame. I, I, I just don't understand how, how, how women in your position, Princess Diana, Princess Diana, Princess Diana, can't... Can, you don't have a subscription to Acorn TV. I think I'll get you that for Christmas. You don't watch Acorn. Don't watch Acorn. That's not brilliant. You know, I mean, so then you'd never watch Midsummer Murders? No. I'm so sorry. I, I am culturally deprived. You know, the British have this thing for murder detective shows. Diana, they got like a hundred zillion of them. And I'm, 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 I don't know what to say about myself about this, but I love them. <laughs> they, they, they have 
and you know what's going to happen in every single one. Some are like more comical than others. Others are more serious. Some team up. Okay, let's do a black white partner thing. Others let's team up like two girls things. Others are like you know it's like a full diversity uh, program of detective <laughs> murder shows. And then they have the ones that take place in New Zealand, and then they have the ones that take place in Australia. And so you get the murder shows, the murder detective shows, and then, and then they have, on top of that, then they give you a whole lineup of solicitor shows. So you get to see all the lawyer shows in these different protectorates of Britain and all the, the, the and, and these, Diana, I mean, this is really, I mean, just surprised that you, anyway... Well, I like forensic files. I like the real-life murder stuff, not fiction. I can't watch that stuff. It's too It's too real for me. It makes me... It's like I still... I get through that stuff, and I can't believe that people do the things that they do. And yeah. that they're also... It, it's stunning to me that people do what they do to other people. Yeah, it's terrible. Anyway... Let's talk about this stuff that's in the... I sent you an article for a change that you liked. <laughs> Let's talk about this. Unbelievable. I could not believe you sent me this Washington Post editorial. Did you want to summarize it or did you want to just jump right I in? Want, I want you to summarize it and jump right in. If attitudes <laughs> don't shift, a political dating mis- mismatch will threaten marriage. That's from the editorial board of the Amazon Prime Washington Post on Black Saturday. On, on, on Black Saturday, the biggest shopping day for the Amazon Prime conglomerate, the Amazon Prime Washington Post puts out an article on Black Saturday. If attitudes don't shift, a political dating mismatch will threaten marriage. Oh. The Washington Post is worried about American marriage. They say that the uh, the American marriage is in collapse. And here's here's the sentence. Listen to this: A growing number of young women are discovering that they can't find suitable male partners. <laughs> so yes. I'm, I'm like, wait a minute. Men and women need to be in suitable marriages, according to the Washington Post. I thought that gendered wasn't a thing. And I thought that, first of all, you know, if any kind of relationship, all is fine. But now they're focusing on marriage, traditionally defined, and women needing to find suitable men. So it is not, you know, non-binary. It is very binary, according to the Washington Post, which just floors me that they write this without even, you know, they're so tone deaf to their own rhetoric. They don't even realize how this con- just contradicts everything they ever they say about everything else every day. But they blame, guess who? Donald Trump. Donald Trump. <laughs> it's Donald Trump's fault. It is Donald Trump. Why, why, pray tell your majesty, is it Donald Trump's fault that women can't find good husbands these days? Well, the Washington Post says there's a growing ideological divide. And if you keep reading, you find out that 
there are a lot more liberal women than more conservative young men. And so the ideological divide is because young liberal women don't want to have anything to do with conservatives. And so that's, of course, Donald Trump's fault, because he's creating the ideological gap, as they call it. And they particularly are worried about Gen Z white people. This matters to Washington. All of a sudden, Gen Z white people. (laughs) That's the demographic that they're all concerned about marriage collapse for. This is just... Now, 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 I, I just find this absolutely stunning. All of a sudden, after the liberals have ruined the black family, now they're worried the white family's going to collapse because there's no marriage. Oops, did he say that? Yes, he did. <laughs> it's crazy. And so 46% of white general Gen Z women are liberal, and 28% of white Gen Z men are conservative. And that is the root of the problem. And the way they describe it, they say this mismatch means someone will need to compromise. And the someone that they're referring to is the conservative men. And so they have to get more liberal so they're more suitable for the women out there looking for male partners. And they're hoping cultural shift will reverse itself, but this is how they end it. There's a good chance that this cultural shift won't be reversed, particularly if Mr. Trump manages to inject the body politic with his distinct brand of existential dread during and after the 2024 elections. So, The Washington Post is worried that marriage is going to collapse even further if Mr. Trump becomes president. So there you have their worry. This is insanity. This is insanity. It is straight up insanity at the Amazon Prime Washington Post. I love this one line. Whereas 61% of Gen Z women see themselves as as feminists, only 43% of Gen Z men do. It's uh, imagine that not enough men are feminists. Not enough men who have had to deal with these feminist women are feminists. Not enough men want to capitulate, get down on their knees, crawl and beg to be with these fema with these young feminist liberal women. Imagine that. And Americans have not equipped themselves, says the Washington Post, to discuss, debate, and reason across these ideological divides. So, in other words, and, you know, who, when you think of someone who doesn't have the ability to discuss with somebody on the opposite side, who do you think about? You think about liberals, especially college liberal women, and that they they just cannot stand here in their snowflakes. They can hear an opposing argument. But according to the Washington Post, it's the problem of the conservative young men because they have not learned to reason with these uh, liberal women. You can't. I'm sorry. You how, can't. Right. How can you reason? They come out of the Karen factory. How can you le- How can you reason with the Karen factory? You can't. Yes, you can't. And so here's how I read the statistics. I understand the concern, 
But on, on one hand, I think actually this ultimately, although it may take a while, is going to be a good thing. Because it means that these young guys who are in reality, one of the problems that the Washington Post sees is not many of them are going to college. I think that's great. I think that the young men are going to maintain their ability to reason and have common sense. They're going to be grounded in reality and not in college-induced liberal nonsense. And so the women ultimately are going to want to find a partner, and they're the ones who are going to have to go looking. Because it seems to me that the American man is standing up. I told you my view of the Budweiser boycott uh, by American men. It was the first boycott that was effective, and it was because it was the American male who decided not to drink the stuff. And now it looks like American men are not going to college, which is wonderful. And so if women are still seeking suitable males, they're going to have to change. So that is a good thing for society. When you say it's a good thing American males are not going to college, I can hear the left right now writing the, the little articles, the little Karens we're talking about, about how you're against education and you're against males being educated. Would you just please just give us a little more than it's a good thing that American males are not attending college in the numbers they used to. Why do well, you think you it's a good cannot, thing? You cannot say what you said and that college edu- is equal to education because it's Thank not. Thank you. <laughs> so, Thank you. You know, you have more uh, young men going into trades and they are attached to uh, a high skill which requires a lot of experience, a lot of learning, and a lot of math in a lot of these fields. And so the education is in real things and starting a business, all of those things where you have to have a lot of strategic thinking is far better in the real world than, you know, learning the strange subjects of, you know, how to hate yourself if you're an American that the colleges are putting out. Now, you also uh, said you wanted to mention today, you, you, you advised me that you want to speak about the American dream, how many, how few people believe in it. I did not see that those numbers. What are those numbers, Diana? Well, the, there's a new poll, and The Hill put it out this morning. I guess it was yesterday in the Wall Street Journal, Chicago, University of Chicago poll. Only 36% of voters say that the American dream is still true. Okay. And that is... So disheartening for me. Um, I happened to look up the uh, Gallup poll from 2019, and 70% viewed the American dream personally achievable. And as you remember, in 2019, we had a different president. So I connect the economy uh, of Joe Biden with this discouragement by many Americans who who do not any longer believe that if they work hard, they can get ahead. And that is the truth because under Biden, it doesn't matter how hard you work, you're, you know, you're behind the eight ball. And I don't know if you've seen some of these heart-rending videos on TikTok and on Twitter where young people are unable to pay their bills. They're, they're, they're two uh, employees in the family and they cannot keep up with the cost of living. And that is happening and, uh, among the youngest groups. And according to this poll, um, under 30% of those um, 
younger than 65. And women do not believe that if they work hard and play by the rules, they can get ahead. And this article in The Hill says that they're wrong. The economy, the survey comes at a time when the U.S. economy has consistently performed above expectations. Oh, avoiding please. Unemployment fell last week, et cetera. Inflation has slowed considerably. So this article in the Hill is arguing with a vast number of Americans who are saying, you know, the American dream right now is hard to achieve. And the Hill is saying, oh, the economy is wonderful. And that's what the media is trying to be, you know, convincing people. And it's not working. So I I find that really disheartening. And I am just, you know, like the rest of us saying, hold on another year. We can hold on together another year. We can make it. Trust in God. In God we trust. And we will get through this horrible uh, economic time that has put so many families behind the eight wall. And we will then be able to turn it around with a new president. I hope. uh, Yes, indeed. I hope so. Diana, and also you had an observation about Black Friday. What was it? (laughs) Well, you know what was funny about that? is that I noticed, you know, from the Sherlock Holmes store, the dog that didn't bark, there was no Black Friday mayhem, no trampling people, no fights, no rioting. There was no door-busting mob lining up at dawn. You, you know, for the last, what, eight, nine, maybe longer years, there would be videos, and that would be part of the headlines of Black Friday of basic, you know, mayhem. And so if you read Reuters, a lot quieter Black Friday, the New York Times, Black Friday isn't what it used to be. And you know what? I have a theory. I say Black Friday can't compete with everyday looting. (laughs) 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 The the news media (laughs) We've noticed a cultural shift when it comes to shopping on Black Friday. And I'm like, well, they got their free stuff already. You know, nobody needs to be fighting over paying for stuff. <laughs> so this is how I'm going to leave you. There's only 30 pillaging days before Christmas. So get out <laughs> oh, spot on. Brilliant, Princess Di. Thank you so much. As always, Your Highness, what a pleasure. That's Princess Di, ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only. 30 pillaging days. (laughs) Thank you. 30 pillaging days until Christmas in blue America, where the American dream is a thing of the past. Prince takes us in. Your call is coming up. Keep it right here on WABC. We celebrate Black Saturday on the Saturday morning radio extravaganza.
Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Yeah, we mentioned earlier this weekend is the anniversary of the Bodyguard movie coming out. Whitney Houston, Kevin Costner. Of course, Shaka did this on her first album, Chaka Khan album. Her first solo after she left Rufus. She did her version of I'm Every Woman. Of course, another genius bit of songwriting from Nicholas Ashford and Valerie Simpson, the iconic songwriting duo. I'm every liberal Gen Z woman who can't find a man because I'm too freaking liberal on WABC Talk Radio 77 as the punk kicks in. Let's rock it. Saturday morning groove here on WABC. Heading back. You know, we didn't do the morning dance this morning. Oh, well, next week. I haven't been here Saturday, so sorry. I know. Half Brit Nick is out. So we're going to go back to the telephones, and here we are. Mike in Queens. You're up next. What's on your mind, Mike? Well, I've been following you since your uh, Bill Maher days. Good luck. Wow. There was so much talk, so much talk about hostages. I want to re- recall the hostage taking by the Iranians when they attacked the U.S. embassy. There was about 40 to 50 host- American hostages that were taken. During the Jimmy Carter weak administ- Democratic administration, he couldn't get them back. When he got beat by uh, Ronald Reagan by almost 49 states in 1980, the Iranians released the hostages the next day. Actually, what happened, if you recall this, the Iranians released the hostages or the hostages were being released as Ronald Reagan was being sworn in. They, Jimmy Carter flew over there and greeted or something. I remember him in the Air Force, the outgoing president, and, and this was, you know, he had holed up in the White House. He refused to leave the White House. He wasn't campaigning. The lights were on during the hostage crisis. <clears throat> America held hostage. And... um what it was and and what happened that was the birth of of by the way uh nightline that's when that late night it started with updates about the hostage crisis and grew into an abc news program nightline ted koppel and there was so much going on back then but the iranians weren't stupid they knew ronald reagan coming in was not going to be good and people were saying i remember some of the 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 the, the light-hearted comments but but were real 
people at that time had drawn maps and the maps had a hole where Iran was. And it's like, this used to be Iran before Ronald Reagan uh, came in office. And they knew Ronald Reagan wasn't going to play these games. And as Jimmy Carter left off and, and as Ronald Reagan was coming in, they released the American hostages. And it was a sign of, it was a show of strength by Ronald Reagan without him having to do a thing. Just by the presence of his convictions, they knew he was not going to be a dupe. But let me just say this, Iran has been at war with us ever since. And and one of these days, nothing, in my view, in the Middle East will ever be straightened out until Iran, Iran Iranian power is brought to its knees. They are the number one state sponsor of terrorism in the world. We keep looking at all these proxy battles they keep putting. Iran is going to have to be dealt with sooner or later. Mike, what a great memory. You said you've been with me since the Bill Maher days. What are you talking about, folks? I was on Politically Incorrect back when that was a show. I was on that show four times with Bill Maher. He couldn't stand me. Especially I turned his audience against him one day. It was so funny. He got, he got mad and he started scolding his audience. How dare you cleverly him when you were, cause this was during the Clinton impeachment. I totally turned his audience against him and he got ticked off. I'm so glad you did that. I don't like that. I'm a guy. <laughs> <laughs> so Mike has been with me since then. That was amazing. Okay. Let's go to Al in Woodbridge. How are you? Welcome to our Saturday morning radio extravaganza, Al. Hello, Al in Woodbridge. Going once, going twice. Hello, good morning. Hi, Al. What's on your mind this morning? I listen to you all the time, man. You're you're great. Um, that song before by um, Journey. I I told the, the guy Steve Perry. The phone, it sounds to me like the old Ambrosia group. You know what? His harmonies. Yes. Oh man, I we loved Ambrosia too. Just another part of me. Yeah, um, uh, that's Steve Perry as a solo artist. That was after he left right, Journey. Right. That was his first, yeah, solo record. Sounds to you like Ambrosia, huh? We're going to have to try to find some Ambrosia in here. Al, thank you for the call. Happy Black Saturday, my friend. We appreciate you waiting. Let's go to California. And Jay, Jay, welcome this morning. How are you? Fine, thank you very much. Say, I have an idea uh, about something that uh, I think uh, uh, would be of interest to President Trump and his family in connection with the hostage situation, uh, uh, and I would like to get it communicated to them with the help of, of uh, you and the other people at WABC. Well, what's the idea, uh, very quickly? The, the idea is this. Uh, I think that there was one uh, four-year-old American girl uh, who is a hostage by mm-hmm. Hamas. I could be wrong about the thing, but if that is true, uh, this uh, young lady who I think just uh, turned four in the last couple of days would be an orphan. It would seem to me that an extraordinary good deed that uh, President Trump and his family might want to consider is adopting that girl whose name I well, you know what? Is that is such a per- look. That may be a very good idea, but that is such a personal decision to adopt a child, and I think it should be done out of 
not someone saying this is a good idea for you to do. That needs to, adoption needs to come from the heart of the people that are adopting, and they need to adopt for the right reasons, that they want this child in their lives, not for a photo op, not for an accessory, not because something might be good. I think that's the kind of decision that people, the family needs to make in of themselves. It's not something I would ever feel comfortable bringing up to someone, but I think it's a wonderful thought, Jay. I really do. I think it's a wonderful thought. We're going to check in with America's small caffeinated mom when we get back. More of your calls, too. Ah, Ambrosia on WABC. How much I feel about you. I don't know how this whole business started. Of you thinking that I had been untrue. You know, we had a call about chemtrails earlier. We have somebody that may have the explanation. I got to try to get to this guy before we get out of here today. Oh, nice choice, Diego. It is time, ladies and gentlemen, on Black Saturday. I'm trying to stretch it out because I love this song so much, but... I got to The clock is ticking, and let's get to America's small caffeinated mom. Hello, mom. <laughs> Good morning, James. <laughs> I love that song, too. Yeah. So what is on your mind this morning? What is your essay about this week, my darling? Yes. Grant, uh, no, well, time... Grant, I say, hold on. Grant, I'm sorry. I said, my darling, I know she's your wife. Not flirting. <laughs> it's all good, Grant. Don't beat no, me up. Uh, he's, he's not a jealous man, thank goodness. And he has no reason to be jealous. Thank goodness. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, because I mean, not that, not that you're not all of that. You're all that plus, but, 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 I mean, one hundred percent trust. That's all I'm saying, folks. Yeah. Get your mind yeah. straight. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, I have a good. I have a. I have a king. I'm married a king. Is what. See um, there? And yeah, speaking of the king, uh, he and I made some princes together. And one of them, well, three of the four princes have been cross-country runners. And if any, if there are any cross-country parents in the audience, you will know that if your kid is running, you're running too. Because the sport of cross-country is not a bleacher sport. 
You cannot sit in a bleacher and watch your kid uh, compete. So what happens is you you follow them around the course. You find places, observation spots where you can see them come through. Everybody's yelling and cheering as the runners go by. And it's really, it's an incredible sport. I love it so much. Well, toward the end of the season, our 17-year-old um, was running one day. We, we waited at the start line. We did the requisite yelling. The pack took off. It was a huge invite, so you could barely see him. The pack took off, and we turned and ran for the next spot and just followed his progress around the course. And I saw as the race progressed that he was struggling. He was just looking tired. He was getting pale. And by the time he hit the finish chute, he was running on fumes. He finished. We went and found him. He had collapsed on the grass. And when he could finally get enough uh, strength back. He, we walked him back to the camp and back at the camp, there's a bunch of sweaty boys milling around and they, they drink gallons of chocolate milk. They eat pallets of fruit and granola bars and, you know, whatever cookies that we moms chip in. And all of a sudden I heard his coach say to him, Hey buddy, how are you doing? I saw you fall. You, you hit the ground, you rolled like a cat, you got back up on your feet and you kept running. And I said, what you fell? And he said, yes, four of us fell right after the gun went off. So it was like a domino, a domino event in the press of that path. One person fell and three others went down. Well, the sport of running is just hugely mental and psychological. And when something like that happens, it really knocks you off your stride and your rhythm. And so he felt it. He never really quite recovered uh, the rest of the race. So I kept thinking about that fall. And I thought about how when I was a little girl on the Kansas Prairie, my friends and I, we would hold hands and we would walk in a circle and we would sing that little song, ring around the rosy, pocket full of, pockets full of posies, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. And I kept thinking about the race of life and how we all fall down. Some of the falls, like what happened to my son, are accidental. It's just what happens in life. You know, a company folds, you lose your job, you get sick, you did nothing to earn it, deserve it. These things just happen, and it throws you off your rhythm. Uh, some falls are not so accidental. Um, one day uh, at a cross-country race, one of his teammates came in, and he, has, he had a bloody leg because somewhere during the race, a runner from an opposing team spiked him on purpose and repeatedly. It was cruel, it was mean, and he was trying to get the advantage. And so sometimes I thought about that, how there are falls in life that happen to us that aren't accidental. They are the result of somebody else's actions because someone else is throwing elbows and cleats in an effort to get ahead. Uh, that's what happens when you're living for self. And the third category of falls, as I mold this over, the worst ones, James, are the ones we cause ourselves. And those are generally from our choices. And sometimes it's from our reactions to the other things that have happened to us. Um, anger over that, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, anger turns to bitterness if you don't work through it. And bitterness becomes, uh, brings a lot of darkness and leads you down some very dark paths. And you can wake up one day, because uh, then in an effort to soothe your pain, you turn to numbing and medicating behaviors. And one day you wake up uh, in a prison cell, in a pit of any shape or size, the, the rock beneath your back is 
solid and you realize you've lost your way, you're not on the course anymore. And that's when we have the opportunity for redemption. That's where truth reaches out her hand and says this, there's a better way. You don't have to keep living like this. There is more for you than this. And we can climb up out of those pits that we have caused ourselves and we can get back up on our feet and start running again. And there's, there's the beauty of, of the truth that falls don't have to be fatal for us. So when my son, the, the, the point is that he finished. He wasn't as strong. He wasn't as fast, but he did finish. And who was waiting for him when he crossed that line? His family, his buddies, and a coach who loved him. So for all of our listeners who, who are trying to come back from a fall, whether it was when they caused themselves or not, it's, it's worth it to get back up and keep running. There are people waiting who love you. There are people all along the way who are cheering for you just like I do for my boys. And there are people who need you. So get back up. Keep running. That's what I want you to know today. That was beautiful, Rhonda. What a beautiful essay. We can find the essay at the Daily BS. What that's a beautiful story, Rhonda. It's Thank just you. wonderful. Folks, this is yeah. one of the treats that we have on this show, one of my treats anyway. It's America's small caffeinated mom. Where can people find you online, Rhonda? Uh Rondashrock.com. That's my little coffee shop in cyberspace. I would love to have people to people come visit me. James, I thought about you when I was writing The Falls. We don't cause ourselves. I thought about your cancer story and how you had people that came around you and helped you when you were going through that because that certainly knocked you off your rhythm and your stride, but you came through it beautifully and you're, you have such a, a lovely testimony now of the gifts that you got during that journey. So I thought of you as I was writing this week, James. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I didn't yeah. come through it. God brought me through it. So thank you, Rhonda. Yeah. As yeah. always, I'm going to grab this call on Kim Trail. So okay. I'm going to say uh, happy Black Saturday to you, Rhonda. Yeah. And Thanksgiving and the beginning of Christmas season, mm-hmm. we'll be speaking a lot yeah. more. RhondaShrock.com, ladies and gentlemen. And also you can find, thank you, love right back. Yeah. And you can find the rest on the DailyBS.com. Thank you, Rhonda. Mm-hmm. Let us head to Connecticut. Bob, I want to grab you on Kim Trails before we get out of here. What's up, Bob? Mr. Snurdly, the chemtrail thing is a pile of bull Democrat. If you look up, it's from the heated exhaust of the engines on the aircraft. It's like if you wait a minute, I have to give a special alert. Hold on, I got to do a special alert. Somebody get hold of the Countess of Conspiracy right now and tell her to listen up. Okay, one more time. What causes the chemtrails? Exhaust. What causes the chemtrails? Exhaust. Chemtrails. Mm -hmm. It's from, if you go out right now and start your car and drive down the road, you see the same thing. If you look up in the air, those lines in the sky are from the heated exhaust because it's so cold up there. It's not them dropping chemicals. It it's from the heat coming out of the of the engine. And it makes like a Bob. cloud. If you if you look at it, it dissipates like a cloud does. It's Thank you, Bob. 
I appreciate it. Now, we have pictures coming in of the chemtrails, the alleged chemtrails that were in uh, Brooklyn Heights. We're going to get that. It is time for us to wrap it up out of here on a Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Wanted to get that in before we left. Uh huh. Now we've got the chemtrail controversy in full gear. And we will have, I want to hear opposing views. But we're going to, we've got pictures of chemtrails being made by military coming in Brooklyn this morning. Anyway, happy Black Saturday, folks. Thank you to my crew. Get well, half Brit Nick. Thank you, Diego. Thank you, Carlos. Thank you, TJ. Thank you, everybody. Rhonda, Princess Diane, of course, Derek Hunter, the one and only Derek Hunter, and Noam Layden. All of you part of the Saturday morning extravaganza, and thanks to you for being here. May God bless, protect each and every single one of you, your family, your loved ones. Love, gratitude for your being here with me and allowing me to be with you. God willing, we will be back on... Monday for Bo Snurley's Rush Hour at 4 p.m. And until then, happy shopping. See you later and bye.